0: The funny thing about bouncing back is that if we do it right, maybe we could also bounce forward. This is my conversation with Marcy Warhaft. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Marcy Warhoff. She is the Resiliency Rebel. Please welcome the Resiliency Rebel, Marcy Warhoff, to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Let's start with life and the crazy twists and turns it takes.
1: I think I'm constantly surprised by life. I think that that's actually been helpful to me because I think what I've learned through my life is that anytime I thought I knew what was gonna happen, I was wrong or I was surprised. And, and I don't think that we are always, Oh, well, I know that we're not always prepared or properly equipped for things that life throws at us. So I think we have to be ready to be not ready And to know that we have the strength and the resiliency to make it through whatever life throws at us. And I think, I think sometimes the more you go through, the more you realize you can go through, the more you've had to survive, the more you realize that you can survive. And so for me right now, I've been through a lot. I continue to go through a lot, but I also know that I've learned things along the way that helped me get through things. And through that, through my experiences, I help other people. So uh, with my coaching, my resiliency coaching, I, I'm the resiliency rebel because I think we live in an age where there's a lot of what's been called toxic positivity. And I think that we really rely on cliches and I hate them. And I, I see things differently differently. Um, there's so many times when I'll do an interview and, and the host will say, so there's this, or you've been this and it's, and I'm always like, Nope, that doesn't apply to me. Nope. And, and I, I tear down the cliches. I tear down expectations. I, I tear down the things that we've been told that don't work. And I, and I share what works for me and I do it in a
0: different way. Right. Well, you have this fit versus fiction body image concept, right? What is what is what does that what does that mean? So
1: that so fit versus fiction, I started way back in two thousand seven, and it's evolved since then. So that I started when I had been through decades of dealing with body image issues and a very serious eating disorder that really controlled my life uh, and destroyed my life for so many years. And then I went into recovery, and when I came out of it, I remember thinking, okay, I never want to think about body image stuff again, and quickly realized that unless I moved to some remote island where there were no people, it was impossible. Plus I had two very young children at the time and I was really upset with the messages they were getting at school about health. It was all about weight and they were confusing being healthy with looking healthy. And so I started speaking out about that. And I was somebody, I mean, this was before social media was even a thing. I mean, Facebook was just starting And so I would literally see something on the news that I felt was detrimental to kids' health and self-esteem and body image. And I would call a station or send an email. Um, And I would be invited onto the show or to share my opinion because people weren't speaking about it the way they are now. There was no body positivity. There there was none of that was around. Uh, And I went to my kids' principal and I said, I don't like what, (laughs) what they're being taught And he was great at the time. He's like, come in and teach something else. And that's how it started. I started with me speaking to one group. And then it was word of mouth. A mother heard about this. Another teacher heard about that. And then I developed this program. And I went in and spoke with kids from, starting with grade four. And then I was asked to speak with first graders all the way through to university.
0: Well, kids will, having kids will definitely set off a, a light bulb as, because as a parent that's where your line is. You know, it's like you can tolerate a lot of things that we go through as adults, but when we see our kids being taught a certain thing or facing certain challenges, that sometimes motivates us to act. Um, but for you as a human being, when did you realize something was wrong and you had to change whatever was going on in your life? Like, what was that breaking point or turning point? <laughs>
1: There were so many. I mean, for me, (laughs) I mean, you're talking to somebody who has had, I've dealt with what a therapist once referred to as traumatic overload. I mean, I've had trauma after trauma after trauma. And my trauma started when I was 17 years old. And uh, I will say my body image issue started at 17 when my older brother died. And my my father had been out of the picture for years. And um, I was incredibly close with my brother. And he was everything to me. And I was um, 17 and he was 21 when he got sick and he died. And my whole life changed. And I was, had been this really confident, feisty, outspoken kid. And I felt like I could do anything. And all of a sudden when Billy died, I thought, first I thought, well, the world's terrifying. Like I'm not safe. I thought the world was safe. And if this happened, I'm not safe. And then the other part was, I thought I can't control anything So the only thing I felt that I could control was myself, my body, how much I exercised, what I ate. So it gave me a false sense of a bit of security. And then the third thing was I didn't believe that I deserved to be here instead of him. I thought the world deserved him more than me. And I felt, God, if I was going to be here instead of him, I had to earn my spot. I had to not just be average. I had to be spectacular. And I didn't feel spectacular. And at 17 years old, even back in the 80s, that meant, okay, if I can't be you know funny enough or smart enough or interesting enough well i'll try to be pretty enough and it, as a teenager i felt well that means skinny enough and so my entire purpose instead of wanting to take over the world and do good things and, and follow my dreams my only dream was to make myself as small as possible and that that took over for decades
0: so what was your what what made you think though that you, you weren't funny or smart enough or that there were things other than looks and an outward appearance that you couldn't accomplish.
1: You're trying to find logic in eating disorders, and there is none. Because I will tell you, I was lucky enough that despite the fact that my father left, my mother was incredible. I mean, she did everything right, and I was incredibly close with her. And and when I would tell her that, you know, I wish it was me instead of Billy, because I used to say to her, well, because I have an older sister. And I thought, well, if it had been me, then she'd still have a daughter and a son. Whereas without, you know, without him, and she'd say, but I wouldn't have my Marcy. And what would I do without my Marcy? And so, she, and she would tell me all the time that I had a voice and a right to use it. And that what I said was important. So she did all the right things. I was getting all the right messages. It's just, it was too much for me. I mean, my whole world was just, it, it crashed and there was nothing anybody could say
0: yeah.
1: that would, that would change that.
0: What did, what did Billy die of?
1: So he had been born with a hereditary liver disease called Wilson's disease. That at the time, I mean, it's still pretty rare. Um, but it, it, this is the '80s, so it wasn't something that anyone really had heard of. Um, he didn't show symptoms until much later, until it was too late, and even doctors couldn't didn't didn't discover it until until it had done too much damage.
0: Is this a is that a form of Is it a form of autism?
1: No, it's actually – like I said, he had been born with it, but he had – he was very athletic, and there was – we didn't know. And so there was – he did – sometimes it can show up in in different ways. With him, there was nothing until he was in his late teens, and just – they thought he had mono, and then they thought he had hepatitis. It's a liver disease, so your body doesn't process copper. So there were certain foods he shouldn't have been eating, like chocolate and nuts and shellfish, which were – his favorite foods. And so without knowing it, it I guess it was almost like his liver was was being damaged and being poisoned. And by the time they figured out what it was cuz it is rare, um it was he needed two transplants and it just didn't take. And I was unprepared. I mean, it, yes, he was sick, but he, to me And and it could have been a while, but in my brain, it was very quick. Because again, he was very athletic and and very outgoing and really handsome and strong. Uh, I was literally in the middle of writing my final English exam for high school when my vice principal came in and came to my desk and gathered my papers and told me to follow him where I went into the office and my mom's friend was there to tell me that Billy died. So I was not, it was not something that I was... It, it, it wasn't, to me, he was going to get better. There was no, there was no question.
0: So it was, it was a complete shock to your system mm-hmm. and the notion that, you know, of take me or it should have been me, that survivor's, you know, remorse and syndrome that, that happens, whether, whether it's people who survive, you know, a tragedy, a plane crash, a Holocaust, you know, mm-hmm. that, that idea of, oh, well, you know, why did I survive? is a mixed bag because on the one hand you're driven. On the other hand, you're so incredibly inadequate in your own.
1: Yeah. I can't even say it was driven because it's, it's, it was, it was not even because it was so overwhelming that I really felt that there was nothing I could do. I'll tell you this, the day that he died, the summer before that he had been a counselor at at a camp at a summer camp. And the day that he died, the phone rang, and I answered it, and it was a camper of his, who who was calling. I think he was maybe eight years old or something, who was calling just to speak to him because he he loved him so much. Like my my brother was so loved that I had, and I answered, and I had to ask to speak to his mom mm. to tell him that Billy had died. And I still think about this, and this is back in '87. I still to this day think about. Oh my god, how did she, how did she tell him? But, but he was such a gift, and I think um, there was just no way again at 17 years old. And, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you also, something that made, it, that made it extra difficult was, here I was, always I was a, a dance instructor, I was always very fit and um, active, you know, no weight issues in my family at all, and I'd gone away to camp that summer. My brother died the end of May, so just timing-wise, went away to camp that summer, the camp that he was going to be at with me. I taught dance all summer came back, went to the doctor for a checkup. And my doctor, I told him that I was feeling myself getting obsessed with weight and food. And I said, you know what, when I go on the scale, don't tell me what I weigh. Cause again, I was healthy, I was fit, I was active. There was no, I didn't need to know my weight, but I knew, and I'm proud of myself that even at that age that I knew that there was something unhealthy with the way that I was obsessing about my body and weight. So I said, please don't tell me what I weigh because I've been obsessing. And I I think just hearing a number might set me back because I had been doing well over the summer. And unfortunately uh, he was, he was quite negligent and he yelled at me to get on the scale. And then he told me that, that medically speaking, I wasn't overweight, but society was very thin. And if I wanted to fit into society, then i should lose 10 pounds and that if he were me he wouldn't put on a bathing suit and he kept pointing at my stomach and saying what is that look at that and and then he made me write down everything i ate and at the end of every week bring it in so he could berate me if, for eating something that he didn't approve of who uh, what was his role again he was my gp he was my he was my doctor and he, and he was he was my family doctor he'd been my brother's doctor And this is again, just, just a few months after, and I had told him, and I mean, looking back, I know that there was an issue and I, and I, I've heard since then, I mean, he's just not, I I don't know if he's still practicing, but he certainly wasn't respected, but, but it absolutely set me back. And not only that, not only that, but, um, I remember thinking 10 pounds. Okay. Watch me. And I lost the 10 and then another 10 and then another 10. And then here being in a place, I started not having to lose any weight and then lost 30 pounds. And that was, I, and I had to do, I had really been doing better. And that, that was it. Because here i had never in my life been told that I had to lose weight. So that set me off. It was just, it set me spiraling.
0: So what? So now, at this point, were you about eighteen? Now I was.
1: I still was. I turned seventeen, still and 17. I turned seventeen in April. He died in May, and this was like August.
0: So it the same year. It's, it's
1: within a few months. And,
0: yeah. Oh my god. So, and what were your your plans? So when someone's seventeen, they're thinking about where are they going to go to college and what maybe what do they want to do or what do they want to study? What had been before Billy died? What had been? Uh, okay. Your plan? So here
1: is the thing. So I had always been. Uh, a little performer. I mean, I loved sports and I played sports, but I was a little dancer singer and I had decided to audition for uh, a theater school in Montreal where I'm from after high school. And he had actually, this is another interesting thing. My brother had been a really good actor at his high school. In fact, after he died, they named a, a, they created a theater library in his name, but he had helped me with my audition piece and, and (laughs) The day he died, I got the call saying that I had gotten in, which was quite bittersweet. But so my plan was to go to this very intensive theater school. And I did, but I didn't stay because I stayed. It was a three-year program. I stayed for about a year and a half because, again, all my life, I knew I wanted to do that, you know, be some sort of performer. And I went from knowing exactly what I wanted to do to not thinking I could do anything. I mean, I really was such a confident kid and I had lost all of my confidence. So that shook me. But I'll tell you this and this is this is this is the problem. this is what was so hard. And this is where the resiliency comes in. So within that so that first year, so Billy died. My mother had gotten remarried to the man she'd been with for a couple of years who had told us he was a caterer. As it turns out, uh, just about a year after Billy died, he be, he was arrested for 47 counts of bank robbery. So he had been completely lying to us. Uh, A few months after that, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, She recovered at that time. So this is all within the first year or so. That's a lot, again, to deal with. Uh, At the same time, um, I, but well, maybe about just after leaving school, I still was in a bit of a depression. And then I decided to move provinces and I, and I left the city and, um, was teaching dance, but still dealing with my eating disorder, severe eating disorder. Um, and I will tell you in a nutshell. So the next few years, this is what life kind of threw at me. I got married, uh, got pregnant, had a miscarriage, got pregnant, had a miscarriage, um, got pregnant again. While I'm pregnant, my mom dies again. I was completely, it was, it was very unexpected. Um, I knew she had, her cancer had come back. We were living in different cities. We were on the phone three times a day. Uh, she was telling me about her pregnancy cravings because, you know, it was our baby together. Um, she didn't want to tell me how bad her cancer had gotten because, because of my miscarriages, she didn't want to stress me out. And so I was planning a trip back home with my first ultrasound for the the end of the week. And my sister called me and said, you need to come in now because she's not going to make it another couple of days. Again, I was completely blindsided. She was trying to protect me, but I, I was not prepared. So there I am writing her eulogy while I'm pregnant. And then um, just a few months after that, my son was delivered early, and we nearly lost him. And then uh, a year after that, I got pregnant again. This time, I got a bizarre illness that wasn't related to the pregnancy. However, it took them a while to figure it out. I ended up spending two months in the hospital with kidney failure and respiratory failure. Um, was given a 25% chance of surviving, lost that baby, fought to survive for the 16-month-old I had at home, um, had to learn how to walk again, talk again, breathe again on my own, did, and then um, ended up getting pregnant again, having a second miracle baby. At this point, um, my marriage took a turn, and it's all in a the book that I released last year, but I will just say that... Um, my partner wasn't what I thought. Um, I was not in a great frame of mind, and I ended up living a double life that had me. It, it,
0: it, well, before, I'm not we, any, before no. we get yeah. in, if if I can to interrupt you for a second, because I I don't want to. I know where we're going next, and I, and I'm, it's fascinating, but I don't want to mm-hmm. lose this one string that we're on, which is that you through all through the miscarriages and the struggles and losing your mom, there was a determination that you had to have children. So is there, is there something you can talk about, about that period? Because recovering from having a miscarriage would be enough of a, of not a deterrent, but at least a a delay. There would be a sense of, I have to get better or we're going to wait a year or we're going to wait six months or how, how rapid what, was this period where you were trying to have children.
1: It's not that I, it's not that I, you know, I have friends, a couple of friends who they knew when they were little that they always wanted to be a mom. And it's not, that it wasn't really it for me. I think I actually remember thinking, can I do it? Am I too selfish? I like, I didn't know. And then it's almost like I woke up one day. and was like, no, I need to have a baby. <laughs> but I think I had such an incredible relationship with my mother. Um, and I loved to see my mother's relationship with my brother that I wanted that experience with my own kids. I wanted to share some of what she did with me with them. And, um, so after the first miscarriage, it was pretty quick that I, that we got pregnant again. Um, and then when I got pregnant with my son, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough because it's tough because, I didn't, I never would have imagined being a mother without my mother. Like I never, I was, first of all, I was the baby of the family. I was the youngest of three. So it's not like I babysat, you know, I never, I didn't know what I was doing at all. So I never imagined that I would be a mom without my mom and I didn't have a father. So it was really, I didn't know what to do. Um, but yeah, there was something, I don't know. I just, I knew I, and it's funny cause I knew I was going to have boys and there was something I I really loved the relationship my mother had with my brother. I, I, I loved it. So, I yeah. loved it so much. I can't even tell you. I think part of it, actually, I mean, I love my, my relationship, but I think there was part of me that thought, I, if I didn't have that relationship with my daughter, I think it would be tough. So I didn't have that, like, I need to have a girl, but I loved the relationship my mother had with my brother. So I really was looking forward to having sure. And then when I lost... And then when I got pregnant again and I, I don't know, there was something about, cause it's true. Like I, after almost losing my older son, I still, I still wanted another, I don't know if it's just resiliency or yeah. just, I just wanted it and I'm stubborn as hell, but I got pregnant. And then when I lost that, see, that was the thing. So when we lost, <laughs> when we lost the, 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 my son Jackson, I was about five and a half months along. And, and that was, that was really hard. And I did have doctors say, don't do it again. Like I said, can I get pregnant again? I wanted brothers. I just, I wanted brothers. And, uh, and I knew I had, just knew I had another one. And the doctors were like, again, medically speaking, there was no reason. They were all kind of, they just happened for different reasons.
0: Right. You weren't high risk by nature. So,
1: so their thing was why put yourself through possible trauma again? Why, why do that? But one of my doctors said, but you can like, he's like, I can't, he was great. He's like, I can't promise that it's going to be okay, but there's no definitive proof that it won't be. And I knew, I knew I wanted, I knew I wanted my second. And, and so we got pregnant very quickly. I mean, when I think about it, I got out of the hospital when, I mean, I had multiple surgeries and a tracheostomy and I got out of the hospital. It was 2000, maybe April of 2000. And my son was born in September of 2001. So there really wasn't, I didn't really, really didn't give myself a lot of time to recover. But, and that pregnancy was great. So, although right after, you know, I did reconnect with my father and then he died. But, but I I just knew I had two, I just knew I had two boys and I just was going to have them no matter what. (laughs) I I don't know.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now, so now you... You had your first. What's your oldest son's name?
1: I don't really want well, I, 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 yeah, to. Oh no, no yeah. that's okay. Not that's that it's okay. hard to find out. But that's yeah. up
0: to you. I just sometimes don't want to not not use the person's name and feel like I'm talking about them like right. they're some kind of abstract yeah. thing. But that's. Yeah. I fine. mean they're that's super supportive. Fine. I just so yeah. You're, yeah, so you're okay. So you have your older son. You have another miscarriage. Another you, more than yeah, it was two know.
1: miscarriages. Then I had my son. Then I had the stillborn, and then I and then I had another baby.
0: Okay, and then you have a then you have a second son. Um, okay, and now you can pick up where <laughs> you where you left off. So your so your marriage though comes apart. Ugh,
1: I, it's, you know that, what? Right? It would have been easier if it came or, apart. It's it, it's it's my marriage, and I don't even. I, I like to save some for people to a lot of it for people to read in the book because it, it I don't want to divulge too much. Sure. but I will say it took me by surprise. I think um, my husband, who had been, and I will always say, absolutely fantastic when I was sick, uh, incredibly uh, amazing when I was sick in, in the hospital, uh, and I will always say that. And we're still amicable, but. Uh, he surprised me and wanted to open up our marriage. And this had been something he'd brought up before that I said no to. But at this point it was really, I, I looking back, uh, I know again, I was still dealing with my eating disorder through everything, feeling quite, I always say I was almost hyper focused on my body while feeling quite disconnected from it. I even remember when I was in the hospital and I had been pregnant, like five and a half months pregnant, and then lost the baby. I didn't even understand my body because it was – I was in the hospital for so long. I should have been much smaller, but I had been pregnant. And I, didn't, I, didn't, I just – I couldn't connect yeah. with my body. So here he wanted to share me, and I was feeling – by that And I was hurt by that. Not that you want to feel like your partner's possessive, but you have to remember also, I didn't have my mother. I didn't have my brother. At, at, I didn't have my father. At the time, my sister and I were estranged. So it was just me. We didn't grow up with cousins or aunts or uncles or anything, not grandparents. So it was just me and him. And when I, st- I felt very unloved and unsafe and Going back to when I lost my brother, when I felt the only thing that I could maybe find some worth in is myself physically, if I was pretty enough or thin enough. Well, I went back to that because that's how I was starting to feel. So I felt, well, I'm going to try for two things. I'm going to try to be the best mother I can be because I had the best mother and because I adored my children. And I'm also going to try to find self-worth through my body. And so I i always say I, I confused being sexual with being sexualized, because I always had a good attitude about sex and being sexual, but I I slipped into this role of allowing myself to be sexualized, and that became very very unhealthy.
0: Okay, so now um, your your husband suggests having an open marriage. You you dive into a way to try to to uh, improve your self body image and your self-worth because his suggestion makes you feel un unwanted yeah. in in that way. And so what happens? What yes, happens and, it, and
1: to be honest, none of it makes sense. I mean it really doesn't make sense logically. I mean, and 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 he, he
0: Well that's what this show is about because <laughs> our show is about how truth tastes funny and life it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It's 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 not it's not linear. We don't do things In a linear way, as much as we would, we we try to structure personal development from uh, infancy through adulthood, and they give us all these roadmaps. It's like life. It's like they give us society gives us a roadmap, and we hit the road, and it's upside down, and we're like, "This is not what. This is not what's on the map." So we don't have a choice. I always felt
1: quite lost, actually, even when I was younger, thinking like that we're all given this book, like you said, this book of rules. But I thought, but I didn't, it doesn't make it, like I have to follow the same rules, but I wasn't given the same anything. Like, it's just not my, I never, my peers couldn't really relate to me because nobody had been through some of the things that i have been through. And no one, I knew I people, right. I knew a few people who had lost a grandparent, no one had lost a sibling. You know, I mean, it, nobody had a stepfather that was a yeah. bank
0: robber. Like, it just, wow. That one you're going to have a hard time topping, right.
1: I mean, it's just—I had a name. They called him the Satchel Bandit. I mean, it was it, it, none of it made sense. So how? What? How was I going to do it? Um, so what was? Wait. So where were
0: we? What was your? Yeah. So what it So what you you started to say before you were so? But I have it. I had a double life.
1: Right. So I, I need to correct because uh, I. I I don't, I think he would probably argue my ex-husband that it wasn't an open marriage because that suggests that we can both do whatever we want. And that, that wasn't what he wanted. I think he'd probably argue that he wanted more control over it. So was into, um, swinging and, you know, where we were both there, where, where, you know, he had right. some say and things like that, but see that what happened was, and this is what doesn't make sense. The little rebellious part of me—the part of me that was that was rebellious as a little kid—which was great—and it it gave me the courage to stand up to people and stand up for things that I believed in—it kind of worked against me at that point in my life, at the later point in my life, because because I and I you know I wish that the rebellious feisty part of me would have said this isn't okay, and I'm going to leave the situation, and that would have been the healthier thing to do. However, that's not what happened. And instead, I was like, oh, so you want, this is what you want me to be? This is who you want me to be? Well, I'll show you. And I didn't like feeling that I was being controlled. I didn't like that feeling. And so it was kind of like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, but I'll do it in my own way. And that <laughs> really was not the healthiest thing for me to do. And so the, the idea of the double life was where, as I said, I was on one hand trying to be the best mom I could be. And I'm, I mean, I was not the, the cool mom growing up. I was like the overprotective mom, you know, the one that made the kids wear the helmets and that you mm-hmm. know, knew where they were every minute. And, <laughs> and I was making the, the scavenger nuns for their friends and obstacle courses at the park. And, Like, just, I was really, I wanted, because I also, my mother had died young. My brother died young. I almost died. I didn't know how much time I had left. And I just wanted every memory of theirs to be fantastic. And I wanted them every minute to know how loved they were and how important they were, are. So there's that side of me. But then there's the other part of me that's feeling quite worthless. Because A, no matter how much I tried, I still didn't feel like I could be good enough as anything, as a wife, as a mother, as a person. So when I did find that I was getting attention from men, I thought, okay, so that became, ah, that was everything. Like I thought, okay, like that's, that's where I'll be okay. That's where I'll earn my worth. And so it would literally be where, well, there were a few things. So I did, I did at one point start stripping and that is in the title of my book, but that I only did for a few months. Actually, that wasn't the worst part of the double life. Um,
0: right, The Good Stripper. Right. Uh, the Good That's Stripper, the title, Soccer right. Mom's
1: okay. Memoir of Lies, Loss, and Lap Dances. So that, that came from, uh, it was weird because we would go to strip clubs together. And I loved the idea of, uh, I would, we'd go in and I would find a dancer that I thought he would be attracted to. There was no, there was no jealousy, yeah. there was none of that. And I would approach her and I would give her money and they'd go off. And I would sit at the table, and I felt like a boss. Like, I felt like a badass, you know? I was like the cool wife who didn't care. And and the dancers loved me, because I wasn't making them uncomfortable or doing anything inappropriate. But I felt quite powerful. And then we went to one club in particular where they had a thing where they would bring women up from the audience who would, like, you know, show a little bit. And the women would go up and be shy. And then there was me, (laughs) who'd go up and, like... That's it. Like I would own the stage and it, it became almost like a drug for me. And at, at one point I wasn't making any money because I was taking care of my toddlers. And I was also, again, keep in mind, I was still dealing with my eating disorder. So even though I was in great shape, I still didn't feel like I looked good enough. And I had met a trainer at my gym. And it's important to say I belonged to two 24 hour gyms because I worked out throughout the night and one had the audacity to close over Christmas or like early on Sundays. So <laughs> I met a trainer who said, Oh, I can get you look to look like a fitness model in just a few weeks. And I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to take money from the household. I felt guilty. So I thought, okay, I need a job where I could pay for my personal training that won't negatively impact my family at all. And so I thought, well, what's a job I can do at night when my kids are sleeping? And so I would be with them during the day and put them to sleep. And then I would drive to the club and then I would dance. And I was the only dancer with a protein shake in my locker because I didn't have a sip of alcohol. And I would dance and then I would come home. I would change. I would go to the gym, uh, the 24-hour grocery store, and get home and take a shower and be up with my kids. And I could go a couple of days without sleeping.
0: I was going to ask, you did you realize that what you're doing was kind of manic?
1: I knew it. I knew it. I, I did think like, oh, my God, the moms at school must think I'm on something because I went I, I, and, and people would say, oh, my God, you're so motivated. You go to the gym at three in the morning. And I'm like, and I knew it's it's not it's it's crazy. But but it was my reality. And I and I needed to do that. I mean, look, the pressure, if you're already dealing with body image issues and you know that on Saturday night you're going to go with your husband to a club and you're going to get naked, you want to look good. So, or if you're going to go on stage, you're going to, and people, are, you know, you're going to ask for money. You got to look. So it was this constant pressure. Um, so I had to keep working out and I had to keep you know, my weight at a certain place. And it was, I mean, it was, it, there was nothing good about it. The only thing is I will say that with the dancing, it, there was, I always loved to dance. I still love to dance. And so being yeah. on stage, that to me was fun. Being off stage and having to ask people well, for money, I did not enjoy that.
0: Yeah, there were there were elements that were good. There was there was health, fitness, well, nah, right in the well, service of a fitness. Well, in a fitness regi- regimen, you were in your mind. Right. I'm talking. I'm saying there were elements that felt healthy.
1: Right. That. Yeah.
0: You weren't feeling like you were descending down some rabbit hole. Of- there,
1: well, there were times, but yes, it. But it, well, that's that's the problem when you when you deal with a disorder, like I did with the eating disorder and things like that, is that you're also dealing with a society that's telling you it's okay. Like I said, when I'm going to the gym at four in the morning right. after not having slept, and people are going, "Why wow, you're so motivated?" That's that's society. That's that's. Uh, giving kudos to really unhealthy behavior. I mean, eating disorders are the only disorders that society cheers on. And that's the problem. And so, yeah. uh, but yes, of course, I mean, my trainer used to say to me, don't listen to, to friends or family or doctors who tell you that it's too extreme because they're just jealous. So that's what I kind of went by. I mean, yeah, I loved doing something that was different than everybody else. I loved exercising more and eating less because it made me feel special. And it made me feel like I was doing something special. So yeah. it is – and when people are complimenting you, I mean, it is easy to feel like you're doing – I, I got to a point where I thought, sleep? Like, that's – what? That's la- lazy people sleep. Why would I need to sleep? There's all these hours I could be being productive. What is that? Sleep is for right? suckers. Like, but not realizing <laughs> that not sleeping and not eating, it's that was just making me sicker. But it was – so. so just to say, the dancing, though – I mean, that was, that was not great, uh, obviously, but then it was it, it, the, the, the real double life and the, the, the part that I struggled with for so many years after wasn't so much the dancing as it was the, the, when I say I kind of went rogue in, in the sense that my husband really wanted to be a part of everything I was doing. And I was like, you're not going to control me. And I went into this kind of promiscuity type of thing for a while where somebody would show me attention and, you know. I, I I wasn't that tough to become friends with. So there was that and that and that that put me at risk in so many ways, it mentally, emotionally, physically. And then even when I got out of it, it was dealing with the shame from that that kept, that kept me back uh, for so many years.
0: So ultimately you you ended up experiencing shame in one way as a teenager and carrying that through to adulthood where in a really backward way, you ended up in that Mm -hmm. same place. Absolutely. Feeling shamed, Mm -hmm. feeling unworthy Mm -hmm. and feeling wrong. Uh,
1: Absolutely. And I, and I always say I used food and sex in the same, I abused myself with food and with sex and, and it's very connected. And
0: so what, what was the next uh, revelation and, and,
1: so I'll say uh, uh, the, the thing that uh, it's level. So, and I won't get into this too much because it's a hell of a chapter in my book, but I did have a rude awakening one morning. It was, <laughs> I had an experience that really shook me and, and made me realize what I was doing was horrible and that I was affecting other people, I knew at this point that I was doing bad things to myself, but I felt that I deserved it. And I kept doing bad things because I felt I had to prove to myself how bad a person I was. That's where the shame was. So I'm so bad that I'm, I'm you know, doing this. I'm going to keep doing it just to prove how bad I am, which was terrible. But I didn't realize that I was hurting other people. I deserved whatever happened to me, but no one else did. And, and it, I, be, I came face to face with that when I was confronted by a few people that I had harmed and that was too much for me. I felt horrible. And I knew immediately I had to stop everything that I was doing. And I told my husband that. And, you know, I don't think he was thrilled. But we eventually we did stop everything. And that was the, the catalyst to me getting healthy. I went into treatment for my eating disorder. Um, I'd been on medication for chronic pain for my surgeries. And I got off that. And uh, I just completely overhauled my life, which was great. However, I still hadn't dealt with the shame and I was still, I had all these secrets. So nobody knew I had danced except people who would see me. You know, most people didn't know about the, the, the way I had been sexualized. And so for the rest of my life until a few years ago, I was carrying that with me. So here I'm raising two children, terrified they're going to find out. And I become quite um, a recognized expert in body image and self-esteem. So I was on TV and I was on the radio and I was in the paper and here I was afraid that somebody, every time I did anything, anything that was in the public, I was afraid somebody would call somebody and be like, oh, you think she's a good person, but this is the truth. And, and I was, I was really, I was terrified of the truth coming up, mostly for my kids, to be honest, I, I really was terrified that it would, it would hurt them. But I carried that with me for, and it also because I had so much shame I still wasn't in a great marriage. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. And I still didn't feel loved. And I, but I, part of me still felt like I deserved that, that I should be happy for whatever I can get because I was still carrying that shame. So it wasn't until a few years later. And I, so I, so once I left that situation, it was still over 10 years later that I said, no, 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 wait, I, I do deserve to be happy. Cause I, I stopped doing my workshops because I felt like I was being hypocritical. I felt like here I'm teaching people how to be, confident with themselves and and love themselves and I didn't feel that way about myself anymore and I needed to make some big changes
0: the, the cycle that you're talking about makes sense in the in a way because you're not trying to escape your life as a whole you're trying to round out your life or your husband's trying to Add to your relationship or redefine your your boundaries of your relationship, but you're, you're doing all this in the context of being mm-hmm. a mom and raising your young sons, and you're not escaping motherhood, mm-hmm. but you're escaping your mm-hmm. reality and trying to fold it into another reality, into an alternate reality, thinking you can right. balance the two. And then you realize no. you can't, and you... And you go the other direction. You go the the direction of, of fitness and health. But you can't be fully satisfied selling yourself as an expert on health if you're carrying around this guilt and fear and shame that you still have it. That some of it's new. That's right. Because so I couldn't
1: old. I couldn't like compartmentalize it the way the way that some people can. It wasn't. Yeah. It would be great if it could be like, I was this by day and this by night, but it, I was Marcy the whole time. I mean, that's the thing. So I couldn't escape that. I couldn't flip a switch and then be the next yeah. person. And so I had, I carried that. And, and I started to, I really almost crashed again where I felt like I was right back to when I was 17 years old. and felt like I didn't deserve to be here. I really did. I mean, there was a time when my kids were teenagers now and I would drive them to school. And on the way back, contemplate driving my car into the overpass thinking that maybe they'd be better off without me thinking that I didn't deserve to be taking up the resources and space on the planet like it was that bad uh and so I, I I had to fight my way back from that um and it was this weird encounter I had with a stranger at the grocery store who had seen me there before and and I was in a very bad place and she made a comment about how I always have this light in my eyes. And I'm like, who is she talking about? <laughs> what? And she's like, Yeah, you you just you you have this glow and and I'm like, I don't what is who is she talking about? And I remember getting home and crying and I, I realized, okay, there's still something there. I don't see it and I don't feel it. But other people can see it. Like I'm not done yet. And that's when I decided that I was gonna make the changes that I needed. And that's why I feel like there's just when people say to me, because to this day, I'll have people who read my book and they'll say, oh, I couldn't survive half of what you went through. And I'm like, mm, that's not true. It's, I just had to prove it. had somebody said to me when I was 17 years old, okay, so this is what's, this is what your life's going to look like for the next three decades. I wouldn't have been like, all right, it'll be tough, but I'll do it. I would have said, nope, <laughs> I don't want it. I can't do it. I'm not doing it. There's no way. But I had no choice. And I think that there, was, there is this resiliency in us. There is this strength in us that we don't even realize. And, and I credit mine to my mother and my brother. I, I believe if I didn't have the, that foundation at the beginning, and I had it at the very beginning, and I didn't have it long enough, but I think that that, that was in me. Even when I, when I thought the spark was gone, it was still there. And so I just had to have the, the willingness and the strength and the belief to fan it, to get it started again. And that's what I did. But I was in my late 40s when that happened. And it, it meant leaving my marriage. And, and what, it, what it meant after a couple of years of that was deciding to write my book and deciding to let my secrets out. I mean, I was turning 50 and I still was having, I still had secrets. I would meet people and think, how much did I tell them? When do I tell them? You know, I'm still f- afraid that my kids were going to find out. And I'm like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and feel like I couldn't be fully me. And feel like like I was holding myself back from with fear, and then I said, "You know what? That's it. Like <laughs> I don't care what happens. I am I am telling everything, so I don't have to worry about someone trying to shame me because I I I didn't feel shame anymore."
0: Yeah, and that's and 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 what's what's funny about that is that you feel like it kind of took you till to fifty to to get all that out there and be comfortable enough to put all that out there. But I think that's pretty much what it takes like the more people i talk to the more i'm realizing that we're not because i include myself in some ways i haven't still haven't figured out everything but i feel like i definitely relate to that idea of you know because i would be like am i a comedian am i an artist or am i a uh, an executive or a business owner and can i be both And if I'm which is my superpower, what's my superpower and all that stuff where you're you haven't really figured it all out and you don't really want to say one thing or the other. You just kind of want to live your life and be that thing. Maybe it's just being a parent or a husband or maybe, as you know, it could be any one thing that you pick to really be good at. And you're like, okay. But the other thing is this unworthiness factor, which I hear a lot from people. I didn't feel I was worthy of the resources. Mm-hmm. I heard that from uh, veterans, you mm-hmm. know, war veterans that don't feel they're worthy of mm-hmm. the PTSD resources, the, the VA that that's for people who really suffer yeah. and they don't realize that, that they're, that they're among those people, but that unworthy, where does that come from? Cause I don't know that it's completely attached to Billy could be, but where did that come from? Do you think that I don't deserve? I'm not. I'm a burden, or I'm. I don't deserve. Uh, you know, that? I
1: don't. I don't know. I mean, for me, it did start with Billy. I think, but I think the problem is, it. We live in a society where you feel like you feel like you don't have what you said right there. I hear that from people all the time that that they don't. They. I just had somebody recently say to me that they're dealing with some depression and they don't feel like they have the right. To feel depressed because other people have it worse. And mm-hmm. that is something that so many of us feel. We compare, we compare not only our successes, but we compare when we feel down. Oh, I shouldn't feel down because they have it worse. I shouldn't but but I think what we have to realize is when what I had to learn was you don't have to earn your space here. You don't have to be phenomenal. You don't have to do anything spectacular every single day in order to earn your spot. Just being here, you are worthy of your life. That's it. But I think there was so much pressure and so much competition and so much comparison, especially nowadays with social media. And it feels like everybody's moving ahead at lightning speed. And if you're not, then you're then something you're failing. And oh my God, the pressure with that is is insane. And so I think that that we need to stop and realize that, We are enough. And that sounds so cliche and I hate cliches, but but no matter what you decide to, if you decide to focus on one thing, you don't have to be the best at it. Just be your best at it. And if you decide to do a million things and you don't want, I don't want to do one thing. I've had people tell me all the time, I should focus on doing one thing. And it's like, but I'm not, that's just not who I am. That's not who I am. That's not how my life, I don't want to, you know, (laughs) I just don't. So I don't, I don't. Yeah, me either. Yeah, but we don't have to. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, we, we, we live in a society again where social media will tell us uh, uh, repeatedly, "Oh, just just be you," and then it also says, "But not like that," you know. And and we're always told that uh, that you know, not to care what people think, and then but so many people still do. And and I used to say that also, but it really wasn't until my book came out that I had to really not care what people think because I was prepared for people to really change the way that they felt about me negatively and. That actually wasn't the case. I'm sure it was with some, but, uh, but nothing that really impacted me. But yeah, I, I, yeah. Think, I think life is short and it's not easy. Life is hard. If there's anything we've learned over the past few years, especially, I mean, <laughs> it's hard and it's challenging. So just, just we, we have to live it as authentically or we should live it as authentically as we can to stop worrying. If I get to the end of my life and I'm worrying that I made someone else uncomfortable with my life choices, I've failed. You know, I, that that's the thing. Better <laughs> you're uncomfortable with my life choices than I'm uncomfortable with my life
0: choices. Yeah, that's really it. That's everything. Um, I would end on that, but there was one other question I had for you. You know, we look at social media and even in the context of fitness, <laughs> you know, you'll see like my kids... If they were to look at, you know, I have a daughter who's a teenager, if she's to look at not just peers in bathing suits that are out there saying, you know, I'm so popular and I'm so happy, but mm-hmm. fitness experts who also may look like mm-hmm. that. And so in a way, they eat they eat healthy, they work out mm-hmm. fiendishly, and they look mm-hmm. perfect, right? Their bodies are perfect. They're still selling mm, perfect. I hate it.
1: I have more of an issue with, you know. with the fitness industry. I was it worked in the fitness industry for years. I was a fitness instructor. I was a personal trainer. I was a boot camp instructor. And then I left the industry because I hated the message that it sold. It was not about physical fitness. It was about physical appearance. And, and, I, and I find that that is the most dangerous right now. And it's funny because you said they work out fiendishly and they eat healthy. Mm, I don't know. I would question that. You can't. You don't know how they eat. I know when I was bodybuilding and I was working with the trainer. People would think I was eating healthy. No, I wasn't. I was starving myself. That's not healthy. So, right. so, so now I'm I'm heavier. Um, I'm active. I eat whatever, and I think that that's healthier. So, I I think absolutely the 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 message of a body, a fit body, looks a certain way is is so damaging and i have a lot of, of disdain for the fitness industry for promoting that ideal and i and i there are a lot of different fitness instructors and organizations that are really fighting against that and are showing different bodies because uh, a fit body truly can come in different shapes and sizes and you cannot tell how fit or healthy someone is by how they look you can't and i would argue that <laughs> i'll argue that to the day i die so
0: where do where do people go to find you
1: I'm all over social media. So Marcy Warhaft, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere. Uh, but marcywarhaft.com, which I'm sure you'll have that written out. Uh, that's for their coaching. Yeah, we'll have it in the show um, And then my book, thegoodstripper.com. But if people contact me, then I can lead them to where they need to, the way they need to go. But I will say this on that. <laughs> it's, it's because we live in a time where social media is so rampant. We can choose what we see, not all the time because stuff gets onto our feed that we can't control. But if you want to find stuff that's going to make you feel bad about yourself, it's very easy to find. There are tons of, of creators and different, different um, people and things that we can look at that make us feel lousy. But the flip side of that is if you want to find the healthier content, the more positive content, you can find that too. So it's wanting to choose what you see and being willing to clean out the stuff that makes you feel bad. Anything, anything or anyone that makes you feel bad about yourself should not be part of your, your, of what you see. You have the right to get rid of anyone or anything that makes you feel bad about yourself. Period.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.